Welcome to the Lady Lawyer League podcast. They're a league of lady lawyers in an all-female law firm in Omaha, Nebraska called Hightower Ref Law. On this podcast, you'll hear stories of what it's like to be a lady lawyer and an entrepreneur. Now it's time to talk about the law, share real-life stories about representing clients, and discuss the current events of the week. It's the Lady Lawyer League podcast with Susan Ref and Tracy Hightower Henny. On today's podcast, we're going to be talking about protection orders, and this is going to be the third and final episode in our three-part series about protection orders. And today, Erin Wetzel's here with us again to keep talking more about protection orders. Hello again. So in our previous episodes, we talked about how to get a protection order, what to do if a protection order is taken out against you. And then we talked about what happens when you have a court hearing for a protection order. And the different kinds, the three different kinds in Nebraska. So today we're going to kind of talk about like what happens after, what are some of the after things that happen with a protection order. But first, uh, I wanted to share that a fun thing that we're going to be doing as a law firm tomorrow is we're going to the Barrister's Ball together. Yes. So we all get to get dressed up and go mingle and have dinner and there's a silent well I don't think there's a silent auction this year there's a raffle and then there's there's dancing there's a live auction oh for trips oh yeah 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 to like Mexico and Hawaii and some other places so our whole firm is or all the lawyers are going right and um there's a couple people on our team who have not gone before so that'll be fun for them to see what this is all about and it's always fun, I think, to see what people wear when they get dressed up. It's law prom for lawyers. <laughs> law prom for lawyers. Yeah. With no chaperones. No, no chaperones. Uh, they did tell us that we have to wear masks, though, Ugh. for the non-eating portions. That just was an announcement, so that's So I'll we'll just eat the whole time. Got it. <laughs> they said eating or drinking. Okay, so I'll drink the whole time. Yeah, then you better get a ride home. Uber. (laughs) Uber home. Yeah, that's a good idea. So this caused me to go through my closet and try to see if I actually had anything I could wear. And you didn't because of COVID, the the 15-pound COVID weight gain, like the freshman 15? (laughs) I I don't think I've gained 15 pounds, but I, I can honestly say that I haven't really had a lot of events to go to where I needed something dressy so the dresses I did have are from like three plus years ago you haven't been to an event in three plus years not like a cocktail event I don't think I just I don't know maybe I don't go to dressy events enough I have a dress from a couple weddings I've been to in the last few months so I'm gonna wear that yeah I I haven't even been been to a wedding I don't think I'm too old. I, I'm like in this in-between age where I don't get invited to weddings anymore because... Just graduation parties? My friends' kids' graduations parties. You got to wait like 10 years and then you'll start getting invited to weddings again from your friends' kids. Yes. Yeah, that'll start happening. Um, but anyway, I did find a dress in my closet that still had the tags on it. <laughs> so I have, I have so many outfits in my closet that still have tags on it. It's terrible. So, like, oh, look, another thing I've never worn. <laughs> Why do you think you don't wear them? I don't know. 
I'm kind of the person that I stick with like the same five to ten outfits that I really like. And then I have too many clothes, so I forget about things. And then I'll be like cleaning my closet. And I'm like, I forgot I ever bought that. So next week, <laughs> every day, wear something that has a tag on it. Let's see. I'm we'll challenging see. you. Okay, we'll see. <laughs> Otherwise, it's wasted, right? Like, yes. then it doesn't get used. I have to sell it or something. Yeah. I don't know. Donate it. Sell. So, do you have something to wear? I do. That dress that I wore to those weddings. Oh, we'll see your. Yeah. That, see, that's why I don't have a dress because I'm not getting invited to weddings. So, well, see, I find stuff that I like. So, this dress I own in like five colors and five different sizes. So, oh, that's a good idea. So, if you gain or lose weight, you're covered. My dress is stretchy. <laughs> so, it doesn't really matter. Mine, and it's black. Mine flares out. <laughs> Ooh, I can't wait to see it. Um, so, that's going to be this Saturday. And we'll probably post some pictures. So we'll have to get pictures before the incessant drinking because people don't want to wear masks <laughs> happens. Uh, but that'll be really fun. And it's a cool fundraiser for uh, the Bar Association's Lawyers Foundation, which does a lot of like pro bono work and good things for people all across the state. Right. Like funds the Volunteer Lawyers Project, I think. Yep. Let's kind of talk a little bit about some random stuff about protection orders that people might not think about when they think about a protection order. Um, I think the first thing we were going to talk about was how protection orders interplay with other types of cases. So especially divorce and custody, it's a big thing, right? Right. I mean, especially the domestic violence protection orders because of the fact that there has to be some type of relationship or former relationship there to qualify for that type of protection order, it a lot of times gets used between people who share children. So then you're having to figure out how do these people still communicate about their kids? Because it's obviously not practical for somebody to say, I'm not going to talk to you for a year when we share children together. Some right. people make it work through communicating through family members, but oh. not everybody has that option. Yeah. I, I had a case where it started as a protection order and then the next after the protection order was the divorce and the protection order got granted. But the judge carved out an exception and said that the parties could talk if it was related to the children. And our client was the person who got the protection order against her husband. Well, anytime he wanted to harass her, bother her, you know, just constantly he was constantly in contact with her he would just say something about the kids so he would say whatever mean and degrading thing he wanted to say to her bothering her and then he would mention the kids so we tried taking that to the judge and the judge was like well I did say that they could talk about the kids <laughs> so I mean he was clearly uh, knew how to push the limits of that protection order yeah that's the unfortunate thing when you have children that you share with the person that you need to talk about because then you know some people think well th does that make the protection order kind of pointless because then they if it's a person like that who's going to abuse that and still use it to harass the person they can right other times though it makes people kind of get in line and clear up the communication a little bit and sometimes in cases that involve a protection order and some custody issues 
once we get further down the road, sometimes the protection order isn't really needed anymore because people start doing what they're supposed to do, right? Right, and you can include some language in those custody orders that kind of directs the communication and what it's supposed to look like and the contact between the parties to kind of prevent some of those issues. But that being said, that's where the conduct that led to the protection order is probably not physical assault and the person really is somebody that kind of gets in line after the fact. Right. So something that we didn't talk about before is, or I know we did talk about it, is that a protection order can give one person temporary custody, but then what, right? So right. then in our custody cases, we have to deal with what happens after that temporary custody expires. Right, because it only lasts up to 90 days. So the petition specifically says, are you requesting temporary custody for how many days? No longer than 90 days. And it's supposed to give a person enough time to then go file a custody action, whether that's a request for custody if there's no custody order, a request to modify custody, or file for divorce in that situation. Um, it's not meant to be something that lasts for the entire time that the protection order lasts. Right. I, and I, I think it rarely gets granted. But the times when it does get granted, it seems to be cases where the children are also being physically threatened or their safety is at concern and the same as that parent who's asking for the protection order. Right. Or it gets granted in the ex parte order. And then when the respondent requests a hearing on that, then that part gets taken out at the hearing. Yes. And the judge basically tells them, you know, there's not enough to say that the children need protection from this person, so I'm taking them off of this. I'm not granting you custody. You need to file something. Or if it's a case where, you know, a custody action has already been filed. Right. So sometimes what we see as, you know, divorce lawyers and lawyers who handle protection orders is, and this seems to happen a lot with people who maybe aren't married and potentially are not living together even, but they have kids together or a child together, is it the relationship has soured. And one of the other then is kind of thinking in their mind, like, well, we need a custody order. But they first file for a protection order thinking that if they can say all the bad things and paint this person as a terrible person, then they will be able to prevail in their custody case. And so I really feel like that's where protection orders can be abused. Yes, definitely. And I think it's, it's rare, but sometimes you have people who go a little bit further with that abuse of protection orders. And there's, you know, they make up all of the allegations. Um, they know that the protection order can affect that person in some other area of their life, whether work, you know, right. other opportunities, criminal cases, immigration consequences, stuff like that. So it's, it's rare that people do that, but that does happen where people know that system and they abuse it. Right. Yeah. And we, we talked a little bit about, you know, you can it can affect your ability to um, get a certain job if they're doing a background check. Right. Um, own a firearm, potentially. All of those things can yes. be affected, even if it's um, there's not even an allegation of physical abuse. Exactly. I mean, the judge could could uh, put the protection order in place against that person. Um, let's talk about those 
other consequences. You, you mentioned immigration. Yes, there's this caveat that I'm not an immigration attorney. We do have an immigration attorney at our law firm. So if you have any questions about this, you should certainly reach out to her, Deanna. She does a great job. But my understanding is that if somebody is not a U.S. citizen and they get a protection order against them, specifically a sexual assault or domestic abuse protection order, that can affect their immigration status in a negative way. Right. And so if you're a person that doesn't that has some immigration issues that you're looking at and somebody tries to file a protection order against you, you do need to con- consult with an immigration attorney. Right. So that's another area where our, our law firm is great because we have an immigration attorney here who can advise those people on those issues and then we have other attorneys that can handle the protection order aspect. I had a case with a client who was here on, and I am also not an immigration attorney, but I know a little bit from talking with Deanna to help me on some of my cases, but he was here on a work visa. Um, everything was fine. Go, you know, him and his wife had um, split up. They were going through their divorce. Everything was okay. You know, no, no issues. And she started accusing him of contacting her. And she was like, they don't have kids together. And she was like, I don't want him to contact me. And I talked to him and he's like, I'm not contacting her. And we go down the road a little ways and she tells her lawyer that she's going to file for a protection order. And her lawyer actually said, do you know that that would affect his immigration status in the United States? And she said, no, but she's like, I don't want him to contact me. And so the lawyer, you know, between the lawyers, we're talking about this and trying to figure out what really is going on here. But the bottom line was, I told my client, if, if you are contacting her, she wants you to stop and she's threatening, threatening a protection order. And he knew immediately that that would affect his immigration status, even on a work visa. So he was, he was concerned. And, you know, after we had those conversations, that was the last I heard of it. But it's one of those things that, you know, you're working on a case and anything can happen. And then you have to figure out, okay, well, what now? You know, how do I figure out this immigration portion of the case when I thought we were just doing a divorce? Yeah, I had one of those cases that goes in line with both the abuse of protection orders by the petitioner and the potential immigration consequences. I believe I mentioned this in a past episode, uh, the case where we had the family law case, the protection order, the criminal case, and these criminal charges were brought on these false allegations. And because we had done the protection order, we knew that she had not brought up these allegations in the protection order hearing, even though this incident was supposed to have occurred before the protection order hearing. So we were able to get that transcript, prove it to the county attorney that she was lying about it, and they dismissed the criminal cases. Well, in that case, our client was also here on a work visa, and she tried multiple times to get a protection order against him, knowing that that would affect his ability to stay in the country. And so those were two cases where luckily we were able to to get those dismissed against him so that it didn't affect that. But that was a case where she was certainly abusing the system and trying whatever she could to try to get him out of the way because she didn't want him around the kid. Yeah, it's, it's like a backdoor way to get custody, right? The judge could say, I'm giving you two joint custody, but then if one person no longer can live in the United States, that other person like de facto has full custody. Exactly. So that's 
something, yeah, that's a definitely an avenue for abuse of a protection order. Right. Once a protection order is granted uh, and it's in place, there's consequences if someone violates it, right? Exactly. So protection orders last for a full year, like we mentioned previously. And if it's an ex parte order and you have a hearing and at the hearing the judge upholds that, it goes back to the date when the ex parte order was granted for so a full year from that date. If the judge doesn't grant it ex parte but sets it for a show cause hearing and decides to grant it at that hearing, then it's a full year from the date of the hearing. And during that period of time, if you don't follow the order and you know, it, it will very specifically list out the things that you can't do. If you violate one of those things and the person reports it to the police, the police can file criminal charges against you for violating a protection order. And I feel like this is another area that is a little gray because we often have clients who have a valid protection order against their ex-spouse or ex-person they were in a relationship with. And they will call the police when they've been contacted, and the police sometimes don't do anything. Right. You know, I think in the last episode with Tracy, we were talking about that case where I was playing the voicemails at the hearing. That was the case where the the first time the voicemail was made, it was a violation of the protection order. She acknowledged that she had received it, but the way she spoke in the voicemail was insinuating she wasn't going to be contacting them anymore. So the police originally didn't file for that violation. But then when she made the further calls, then they went back and filed all the violations. Well, because the voicemails were left for the one party who was then later dismissed off the protection order, the prosecutor declined to file the charges down the road. There are lots of cases where the criminal charges move forward and and people get convicted of it. But there's no exception, right, that says don't contact this person except you can contact them to acknowledge that you got the protection order. No. Like that's not a thing. And and there's no exception unless the judge put it in there. There's no exception if you're calling about the kids or you're approaching the person about the kids. And I feel like that's where the police are less likely to do anything if they're like, oh, well, this touches on your custody issues. So I'm not... You know, the cops are always like really hands off when they feel like something is should be dealt with through a divorce case or a custody right. case. And they'll say, that's a civil matter. Well, if people feel scared of the other person, whether they have a protection order or not, that crosses over from civil to law enforcement issue, I think. Right. So the thing to keep in mind is you should report everything, might not always be acted on, unfortunately. If you're the person who the protection order is against, don't assume that whatever you're doing isn't going to lead to a criminal charge because it could. So just do what you have to do to follow the order. Don't think that you're going to fall into this little loophole that the police are not going to care about. <laughs> right. And, and if you have a protection order against you and you want it lifted, you, you can talk to an attorney and see if you can get it modified or lifted after the fact. But until it until there's a judge's order that says that this protection order is dismissed or the judge will allow contact for certain exceptions it's black and white you can't do the things that it says that you shouldn't do right and one of the misconceptions that we talk about a lot is the protection order isn't going to say Aaron you cannot come within 
50 feet of Susan. It doesn't say that. Right. I, th- I think in the terms of what people think of when they think of protection orders, you know, they think of these movies yeah. where the movies always say that, well, you're supposed to be 100 feet away. And then the person saying, oh, well, that person's abusing this because they're 102 feet away. So they're not <laughs> technically violating that. Well, that's not how they work in Nebraska. They don't say you have to stay a certain number of feet away from somebody. But sometimes it tells you that you can't go to certain locations and certain addresses, such as the person's house, the person's work, where the kids go to school. Right. Yeah. It. Our protection orders are a form with choices that the judge can say, I. these are the things that I am going to order. I am going to order that you cannot go to this location. I'm going to order that you cannot contact this person. Um, it doesn't say, you know, and this person must stay a certain number of feet away from the other person. Right. So sometimes if they don't have a specific location where that person's not supposed to go to, then there's really nothing saying that the person can't be at a similar location. So if these people end up at the same restaurant, right? unless you can prove that the person that has a protection order against them is purposely doing that to harass the person, that's not a violation of it. Right. So, I mean, it's probably best practice to leave a place if the person who has the protection order shows up just so that you're not walking in that gray area. But if you're not going to bother that person or speak to them or harass them, bug them in any way, it's technically not a violation. Right. And... And a violation of a protection order is a criminal charge, and it's very serious. Yes. A domestic violence protection order and a sexual assault protection order, the violation is is a class one misdemeanor, right? Right. And, and that penalty is up to a year in jail. And if you violate it more than once, it becomes a felony, right? Right. Yeah. If, if you have one conviction for violating a protection order, and I believe any protection order, further one. Yeah gets enhanced to a felony. I think it's fair to say that for some people, the protection order doesn't really change their behavior. If they want to talk to that person or they feel like they are entitled to go have a conversation with that person, they're going to do it. Because a lot of times there's mental health issues or substance abuse at play, and a judge's court order saying don't do something really does not affect that person. Right, but I want I do want people to keep in mind that I think those people that don't take that seriously are the small minority. So if you feel that you need a protection order to protect you, get it. Don't feel like you're going to be that person that the that the respondent is not going to follow it. You should always take that step to protect yourself even if you think there's a chance that it's not going to help anything because at least then you're documenting what's going on. I can honestly say in my experience of representing people who have been charged with violating a protection order that none of them are a one and done. They are all people who like serially continue to violate the protection order. Right. Because there's usually a mental health issue. They feel the protection order was granted maybe unfairly or they, you know, they just they're a person that's like, I'm just not going to follow that. And so they're like multiple instances of, of contact. Right. Now, generally, it's been charged as one charge. In your case, though, you said it, there was multiple charges because of there's multiple contact. Yeah, I've had some cases where they will file a charge for each 
separate contacts. So if the person contacts on July 2nd, July 15th, August 1st, there can be three different mm -hmm. charges. But if there's a, a series of contacts within a short period of time, that's probably going to be only one charge. Right. Um, but if it's the multiple charges at the one time, they're all going to be filed as the class one misdemeanor. It has to be a prior conviction. Um, so one of the cases that I had, somebody had multiple charges for these different text messages that were going on. And he said to me, well, she told me she asked for the protection order to be dismissed. I didn't know it was still in effect. So I looked up the protection order, and sure enough, she had filed a request with the court to dismiss the protection order during a time period when they were getting along. But the judge denied it. So he started contacting her, and, and these contacts were pretty abusive language. And so she reported him, and they charged him with the violation of the protection order. Well, unfortunately, it wasn't a defense that he thought it was dismissed because he never had confirmation from the court. So if somebody tells you that they're asking <laughs> that it be dismissed, you need to verify that it's actually dismissed with the court order because it doesn't matter what you believe. What matters is whether or not the protection order is valid. And I think that case definitely underscores how um, serious some of these cases can be where she wanted the protection order dismissed, right? She took the steps, went to the courthouse, filled out the paperwork, and the judge didn't dismiss it, even though she wanted it dismissed, right? Right, and so the judge must have looked at the allegations made in the original protection order and decided that this was you know, important enough or serious enough allegations that despite this person wanting it dismissed, that they weren't, go weren't going to. Another thing I wanted to mention about violations, too, kind of to follow up on that story is, you can violate the protection order by saying, you know, reaching out and telling the person like, hey, how are you? I love you. Instead of like a situation where they're, you know, calling them and saying, you know, mean things or, you know, harassing rude things. It can right. just be any contact, right? Even if yeah. it's positive contact. Yeah. The orders don't specify. It just says contact. Right. So if there's a if you have a protection order against you and you want to tell that person how much you love them. It's still going to be a violation, right? Don't do it. <laughs> Don't reach. And what about sending gifts? I've had that, too. Like, people will send flowers, they'll, or they'll have their friend go over and, like, bring them something. That is contact. Yeah. If you are trying to get some type of message, whether a verbal message or, I guess, that's more of a, of a show of affection, even if you're making that contact through another person, that counts as contact that violates the protection order. So you can't say, hey, so-and-so, please go tell her that I really love her and I just want her to dismiss this. That's yeah. contact. You're trying to pass a message through another person. So um, I think to wrap up, I want you to tell the story of the time you won a protection order violation case. Yeah. So I had, I had a case where these two people used to be in a relationship. Um, they had a child together, but... There was a child on the protection order that was not my client's child, but he viewed this child as, as a stepchild. And he received a Facebook friend request from the child. And so he responded to that by sending a Facebook message saying, remember what I told you, we can't have contact right now, but I love you. So was there already a protection order between the adults <laughs> there at was that a point? There was a protection order between the adults with the child included. Okay. And he knew that. He did not contest it at the hearing, even though we 
really thought he could have won that hearing and gotten it dismissed. Um, he was a client at the time, and we advised him to do that, but he uh, just didn't really want to deal with that. So he didn't contest it. It stayed in place. The child was on it. So he responded to the friend request by saying, you know, I can't have contact with you. Mom then reports this. He gets charged with violation of the protection order. So we took it to trial, and I have this older judge, and so I'm really having <laughs> to explain to him and even the prosecutor how Facebook works. And I had downloaded... You had to explain all of Facebook? Yes, I did. <laughs> so I was explaining to him how the messages work, what it looks like when you get a message request from somebody that you're not friends with. Oh, my gosh. Um, I downloaded these reports from his Facebook account that didn't show the friend request being sent because after the message was sent... His account was then blocked from this child's Facebook account. And when the, the child had to come testify, and when she testified, she stated that she never saw the message and that she did not block his account. And the mom admitted to being the one that found the message. So our argument was that the mom had sent the Facebook request to try to get him to violate the protection order. Wow. And that the reason that the friend request didn't show up was because she then blocked the account afterwards. So that didn't show up. Um, so we argued that that wasn't a violation because it was in response to the protection order. And the judge agreed. And my client was found not guilty. Do you think that part of it was this platform that the judge just didn't really understand how it worked too. It sounds like you used that to your advantage. I did because even the prosecutor didn't really know. Um, he's, I think, I don't think he's a person that really uses social media. And so I don't think he really was able to lay out the way the system worked and what constituted a contact. Um, so even though there, there's not technically a thing in protection orders that say if this person reaches out to you, you can respond. Because I always tell people that the person who has the protection order is not the one who's held to that standard. So even if they contact you, do not respond. Uh, but the judge basically didn't find that he had the intent of making that contact and was essentially telling that person, I can't contact you. Right. Huh. So I, I'm just sitting here in my mind seeing the judge scratching his head going, Facebook, block, friend request? What does all of this mean? Poke? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, what? Was there was there poking? There not in this case. Is that even I, a thing on Facebook anymore? I think it is, but it should not be. It's creepy. Yeah. That <laughs> I think because wasn't there like a finger? Yes, there was a finger and it would say so and so's poked you. Yeah. I'm like, "Oh, they need to get rid of that. That's weird and inappropriate." Yeah. Yeah, that was like one of the first Facebook things I think you could do was poke somebody. Yeah. Before there was even technically like a wall to write on. Wow. Okay. Facebook history. Way back. Going in the way back. 2004 to 2005. Yeah. Was that when Facebook was started, do you think? So it started out as only college kids could have it. And oh, they had yeah. to add your school. And so I remember the spring of my freshman year, people in my dorm were starting to talk about, hey, Facebook's available for Creighton now. And so I think that was maybe a year after it was started. Huh. And, and so I got, I got on Facebook. I've been on there since 2005. That's going to date me, but... Uh, well, uh, I was a regular adult when Facebook <laughs> came out doing like real adult things. I was a lawyer. So funny, funny fact about me is uh, when I first started practicing law, um, email was just a thing, right? 
And the judges were like, how do we respond if they contact the person over email? Like, is that a violation? Because it was either like face to face or like picking up the phone and calling them before that. So then email became a thing. So then I think the terminology of like electronic communication was put into the statute. I think they actually had to change it and add that. Is that like the argument about what constitutes speech within the First Amendment? <laughs> That's another podcast for another day. Yeah, we'll bring Aaron back and we'll talk about um, First Amendment freedom of speech. That would be fun. Sure. That would be really fun. It's now time for your random moment of nonsense on the Lady Lawyer League podcast. We're going to take a break from recording and that's going to make outtakes. Oh, <laughs> There, there's a bloopers couple, podcast so I, episode. I re-listened to a couple of them. Outtakes podcast episode and bloopers. You yeah. you actually talk on a few of them. Like we hear like your voice in the background. Like I'm gonna leave that in. <laughs> <laughs> or like I get my uh, IMDb credit. <laughs> I'm on 16 podcasts. I love IMDb. Yeah, that was my plan all along. I had to start podcasts. Jeff Bezos so owns IMDb. Mm-hmm. Whatever. I still love the website. That's where all my pop culture information comes from. Are you? Yeah, you immediately go to IMDb and you find it. Of um, Leonardo DiCaprio, where he's like, "Oh, it's that guy who's in that." <laughs> I've seen him in that thing, and then you immediately go to IMDb, and you're like, "Yeah, that's the thing he was in." Yeah, that's what I did yesterday. These are our when pop we were culture talking people. About these that two. thing you do. Yeah. They didn't know about that thing you do, and I informed them. Who's they? Me and Deanna. Her and Deanna. You didn't know about that movie. Because I started singing, I started singing the song in the nineties, right? Nineties, yeah, maybe two thousand at the latest. Yeah, you have 90s. to remember, I'm an immigrant child, so <laughs> my pop culture oh, references are very okay. different than what your pop culture. I don't know. I feel like are. your pop culture references should be better. Then I have a friend who came from somewhere in Asia, and she said she entirely learned English by sitting at home and watching movies all day. How do you know English? You were a British colony. That's okay, not fine. The part for. I'm saying <laughs> my parents did not participate well, in American I don't think it's that. Way. I think they're too young. I think yeah. it's your age. Yeah, I was like five in 97, so. Did you hear about, did you see the watching. birthday card that I gave to Deanna? Yes. <laughs> On the front it says, fuck you. And then it says for being like, Better looking, smarter, younger. Young and, and hot, better. basically. Yeah, something like that. Like being a goddess, and then it's like, happy birthday. <laughs> and she put glitter stickers all over it. Yes. Oh, that's very sweet. I, Fuck you with glitter stickers. And then I snuck it onto that her keyboard when she wasn't. <laughs> I snuck it on her keyboard when she wasn't in her office, and then she came back, and I see her walk into her office, and then I hear, ooh, like she sees it, and then she opens it, and she just like immediately starts laughing, and then she like runs over to my office. And I was like, I was listening to this whole thing. You're you're like, I was waiting for the reaction. I found it at this store called, I think it's called RSVP Mm -hmm. in Rock. Rockbrook. Rockbrook. It's a woman owned, a divorced woman owned business. Don't ask me how I know. They have a section in there called the naughty section. They have divorce cards there too. Yes. That's where I found the card in the naughty section. And I was like, is Deanna's birthday coming up? And I looked at the calendar. I'm like, it's in two weeks. Okay. Oh, I never. I thought that. you meant like they were just like happy birthday. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> like a child like making a card. I was like, hey, I oh, made like a, I made cards like in college. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I didn't do that. I got like a whole box of like blank cards in different colors with envelopes, and then I would make 
like put like stickers all over it and then I even got a bag of buttons and I would like do the glue dots with the buttons Aww. to decorate well, I mean, one of my favorite birthday cards I ever got was a homemade card that my friend made was, like, a pop-up book. Like, she folded shit, and it popped up, and it was, like, Whoa. different Beyonce oh. <laughs> And then I had a Beyonce magnet in it that I have kept. I got that for, like, my 23rd birthday or 20, no, 26th birthday. I'm not that skilled. It was, I know, I was like, Emma, this is a lot. It was, it was beautiful. I had kept it. I put it in my safe because I'm very sentimental, so I keep a lot of weird things. In your safe? Yeah, in my fireproof safe, yeah. I have a whole. No, I mean I keep my estate documents in my fireproof. I also have my estate documents in there, but I also have just a literal folder of just like. I have my passport, my social security card, my estate documents, and then I have a separate non-fireproof box for cards. Oh. I have a a file folder called important documents. My dad made me count. Maybe it'd be a little end table. My first car. He's like, like you need somewhere important to put the documents, and I was like, okay. I had the little. In college, yeah. my dad bought me one of those little boxes. Yeah. The lock boxes. The lock boxes, yes. And now we have a huge gun safe. We're never moving, just so we never have to move that stupid gun safe ever again. You can just leave it and have it be part of the house. Sell it as part of the house. Like and then get yeah. a new one. Yeah. <laughs> and have it dropped off. Probably. And, and you could be like, sale price plus gun safe. Yeah. Extra $28,000. Yeah. <laughs> it's in it's in this little room that has like its own. So you walk into a room and it looks like like a little like storage type room. And Cody like made it into like his like little tool room, like work room. And then there's another door and it's like a steel door. And so we call it our panic room. <laughs> That's a movie too. Yes. Maybe have you, you seen that seen, movie? Because that's in the like nineties. Kristen Stewart, the mouth breather. <laughs> Jody, what's her Jody name? Jodie Foster. Yeah. Did you know Jodie Foster graduated from Yale? Did you know that also? Okay, we got to do a podcast. She, she had a she had a stalker who attempted to assassinate Ronald Reagan because he was thought he was doing it to impress her. Let's do the podcast. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and now on the podcast. I had the email where I had to contact Stitcher support because there's no reason we should be able to. Stitcher's screwing us, I think. Let's check. Yeah, I have Stitcher, I've quit being it. such a bitcher. I mm-hmm. this morning. It's just the lunch doesn't show up. Yeah. But yeah, we both went through there. Get it together, Stitcher. It's getting warm in here. Okay. So are we doing two today? Yeah. Two Two. for sure. We don't really have a third topic. Well, you just had a third one there. Oh, okay. Of nonsense. Yeah, Yeah, that was total (laughs) nonsense. We should do a post-show nonsense every episode where we just record... Some talking. Before the episode. And now it's time for post-show nonsense. Yeah. Aaron's random pop culture facts. <laughs> Joey Foster's stalker. Yeah, he didn't know that. I did know about that. Because that was well, part of why she t- decided not to do a whole bunch more movies. Well, that time. was a long time ago. That was in the 80s. She's she was a child sense. star. Yeah, she was mm-hmm. a child prostitute in Taxi. Taxi Driver. That's a great movie. Taxi. Mm-hmm. That's taxi even kind of. Taxi Driver. 
Taxi Driver. Taxi was the show. Really? Isn't Robert De Niro in that movie, too? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's going to bug me now. What's the guy's name? Use your phone and Google it. I don't, I don't know. Ronald Google Reagan. it. Ronald Reagan Shooter. I'm going to know this the second I, I see him. Oh. Like, oh, duh. You guys have watched he has three names. Gacy? No. <laughs> who like did? John that's Wayne the Gacy? serial killer who dressed like a clown who killed a bunch of little boys. Yeah, I was like, John Wayne Gacy. <laughs> Not John Wayne three Gacy. three names. Is that, is that him? Yes, Gacy? it's John Wayne Gacy, yes. Yeah. That's not that far off from the stalker uh, of Jody Foster. John Ronald. Hinckley Jr. See? Three names. Three names. Motive. Attempt to gain the favor of Jody Foster. And he actually killed James Brady, who the Brady Act is named after. Who's Secretary eventually, of State. Eventually killed him. He eventually died of that, but like 20 years later, right? I think he died, like, eventually. <clears throat> yeah, he died in 2014, but it was directly attributed to... Which, fun fact, they could probably go back and prosecute him for murder now. Even though anyway, it's 24 years later. I love this, but <laughs> I have a console at 11. Okay. Yes, I have one at 1045. So. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, thanks for listening today. We hope that um, there was some good information about, about protection orders on our podcast. And... Uh, like the three-part series I think was good because we talked a little bit about the nuts and bolts in the first one, then about the mechanics, about how hearings work, and then some, you know, interesting things that people maybe don't think about in this last one. And the thanks after to, the fact. Yeah. And thank you, Aaron, for, you know, coming in here and lending your expertise, especially about the crossover between protection orders and criminal cases, because they definitely go hand in hand. Anytime I'm around, I think you know where down the hall. (laughs) Thanks, Aaron. Thank you for listening to the Lady Lawyer League podcast and be sure to like and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. If you would like to learn more about our firm, Hightower Ref Law, please visit our website at hrlawomaha.com. We'll see you next week.